the cheerfully matter-of-fact air that would have been disgusting had it not been so funny. It was at this time that I learned his history prior to the days of the post-dispatch. He was entirely frank about himself, and if one half of his stories were true, he has achieved some amazing adventures. I strongly suspected at times that the reporting instinct got ahead of the facts, and that he embroidered incidents as he went along. His father, Terry Senior, had been an Irish politician of considerable ability and some prominence on the East River side of the city. The boy's early education had been picked up in the streets. His father had got the truant officer his position, and it was thorough. Later he had received a more theoretical training in the University of New York, but I think it was his early education which stuck by him the longest, and which, in the end, was probably the more useful of the two. Armed with this equipment, it was inevitable that he should develop into a star reporter. Not only did he write his news in an entertaining form, but he first made the news he wrote about. When any sensational crime had been committed which puzzled the police, Terry had an annoying way of solving the mystery himself, and publishing the full particulars in the post-dispatch, with the glory blatantly attributed to our reporter. The paper was fully aware that Terence K. Patton was an acquisition to its staff, it had sent him on various commissions to various entertaining quarters of the globe, and in the course of his duty he had encountered experiences. One is forced to admit that he was not always fastidious as to the role he played. He had cruised about the Mediterranean as assistant cook on a millionaire's yacht, and had listened to secrets between meals. He had wandered about the country with a monkey and a hand organ in search of a peddler he suspected of a crime. He had helped along a revolution in South America, and had gone up in a captive war balloon, which had broken loose and floated off. But all this is of no concern at present. I am merely going to chronicle his achievement in one instance in what he himself has always referred to as the Four Pools Mystery. It has already been written up in reporter style, as the details came to light from day to day, but a ten-year-old newspaper story is as dead as if it were written on parchment, and since the part Terry played was rather remarkable, and many of the details were at the time suppressed, I think it deserves a more permanent form. It was through the Patterson-Pratt business by a roundabout way that I got mixed up in the Four Pools affair. I had been working very hard over the forgery case. I spent every day on it for nine weeks, and nearly every night. I got into the way of lying awake, puzzling over the details, when I should have been sleeping and that is the sort of work which finishes a man. 
By the middle of April, when the strain was over, I was as near being a nervous wreck as an ordinarily healthy chap can get. At this stage my doctor stepped in and ordered a rest in some quiet place out of reach of the New York papers. He suggested a fishing expedition to Cape Cod. I apathetically fell in with the idea and invited Terry to join me, but he jeered at the notion of finding either pleasure or profit in any such trip. It was too far from the centre of crime to contain any interest for Terry. Heavens, man! I'd as life spend a vacation in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Oh, the fishing would keep things going, I said. Fishing? We'd die of ennui before we had a bite. I'd be murdering you at the end of the first week, just for some excitement. If you need a rest, and you are rather seedy, forget all about this Patterson business and plunge into something new. The best rest in the world is a counter-irritant. This was Terry all over. He himself was utterly devoid of nerves, and he could not appreciate the part they played in a man of normal make-up. My being threatened with nervous prostration he regarded as a joke. His pleasantries rather damped my interest in deep-sea fishing, however, and I cast about for something else. It was at this juncture that I thought of Four Pools Plantation. Four Pools was the somewhat fantastic name of a stock farm in the Shenandoah Valley, belonging to a great uncle whom I had not seen since I was a boy. A few months before, I had had occasion to settle a legal matter for Colonel Gaylord. He was a colonel by courtesy, so far as I could discover. He had never had his hands on a gun except for rabbit shooting, and in the exchange of amenities which followed, he had given me a standing invitation to make the plantation my home whenever I should have occasion to come south. As I had no prospect of leaving New York, I thought nothing of it at the time. But now I determined to take the old gentleman at his word, and spend my enforced vacation in getting acquainted with my Virginia relatives. This plan struck Terry as just one degree funnier than the fishing expedition. The doctor, however, received the idea with enthusiasm. A farm, he said, with plenty of outdoor life and no excitement, was just the thing I needed. But could he have foreseen the events which were to happen there, I doubt if he would have recommended the place for a nervous man. End of chapter 1